What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is you're one step closer to becoming your parents, which means you're going to start telling your kids to clean up before the cleaning lady comes. Doesn't make sense, but you're the parent and they're the kids. You're going to start telling them that now, too. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. And there's your opening to remind them who pays the bills around here. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn and complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance, which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. This is The Baseline, discussing the hot-button topics of the NBA. Welcome, everybody. You're tuned to The Baseline. Kali Warren Shaw discussing the hot-button topics of the NBA, our 2016-2017 NBA preview of the Central Division, where we discuss five teams. Obviously, the big daddy of them all is the one who won the NBA championship, but there were four other teams who looked to make an uprising. Can they cause an upheaval? We will definitely get into that. And of course, to discuss this division and all things happening in the association, you know, I got to do it. My right hand man, 50 Grand NBA aficionado, Don Mac contributor, writer for one of the illest websites, www.shawsports.net, Big Kahuna, PNC, my brother from another mother, Mr. Warren Shaw, repping out of Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Holla back at me, Mr. Shaw. What's going on, man? I'm chilling, man. Salute, salute to all the fans, listeners, NBA Baseline. It's going to be a great division preview. We have another amazing guest on the show. And again, this is definitely one of the more exciting and compelling divisions I think that's out there. It's like we say that about every division. There's always something to talk about within the NBA, but there, we're not lying about this one. The Central Division is packed with talent. And I can't wait to jump right in. Well, you're a basketball lifer, so I would expect ah, you to say yeah. that. You know, nothing, nothing short of that. So if you are, <laughs> if you are, um, if you are one of the, the the worst of the NBA teams, you should feel good having an advocate like Warren Shaw letting you know that you are going to be a part of this excitement that is the 2016-2017 NBA season. But this week we will be talking about the Central Division, previewing all five teams. And with us to do that in a few moments, our man Jeremy Wu from SportsIllustrated.com, writer extraordinaire, covers all things NBA. He'll be on board to help us break down the five teams, which team has the capabilities to make a run for the top dog that is the Cleveland Cavaliers, who walked away with the uh, with the with the trophy uh, taking out the uh, the Golden State Warriors in seven games last season. So not only did they prove that they were the best out of their division, they proved that they were the best all around in the NBA. So we're definitely looking forward to have him on board to help us uh, kind of get an insight on who is going to be moving on up that ladder to make it competitive for the Central. Uh, as always, get at my man Shaw at Shaw Sports NBA or get at me at Game Face Lee. But we always encourage you to get at the show's Twitter handle at NBA Baseline. Uh, we're available on all all the major platforms available on Microsoft TuneIn, iTunes, Player 
FM and um, Stitcher Radio. So be sure to download any of those platforms. Also available on Google Music and we're available on the Roku channel. Um, also check us out via through Sports Brothers. All my uh, heads out there who catch the Sports Brothers that covers all things sports. We are simulcasted through those dudes. So they will be definitely putting us on giving you the insight on our discussions regarding the NBA. So big shout outs to the Sports Brothers Network as we keep it all the way live when we talk about the NBA. So before we get you ready for the Central Division preview, we want to make sure that you guys in the Central who are listening to us, whether you're in Cleveland, Detroit, Milwaukee, Indiana, all points between, we know that you got to get ready for the upcoming NBA season. And to do that, Fan Essentials and us want to get you right. So how would you like to get all your favorite NBA teams merchandise delivered straight to your doorstep? They need to check out fanessentials.net. All you do is subscribe and then pick your team and every month you'll get your team's gear shipped right to your front door. They find the sports gear so you don't have to. Each fan box comes packed with some amazing gear. It makes a great gift idea for any sports fan. Prices start at just $14.99 and $34.99. But if you visit fanessentials.net, you get all the gear that you're looking for. You use the promo code baseline at the check out you get 30% off for your first month let me say that again if you go to fanessentials.net select the gear that you're looking for get your get your gear game tight choose one of those prices whether $14.99 $34.99 at the checkout use baseline as the promo code and you will get 30% off of your first month you can't beat a deal like that this is exactly why fans love getting dipped down in their favorite gear because fanessentials.net is the go-to place for you to do it so be sure to go to fanessentials.net to get all the essentials you need all right and without further ado it's time for us to get into the 2016-2017 NBA preview of the Central Division. And joining with us, he is a premier writer. He covers all things NBA and does it lovely on sportsillustrated.com. Our man, Jeremy Wu. Jeremy, man, thanks for taking some time out to help us break down this Central Division, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's good to, good to be back. Thank you for the nice intro there. <laughs> hey man, listen. It, it, especially around this time of the year, man. This is probably about, about as much time as we could throw out the accolades. Because I'm I'm presuming that there's going to be a ton of action uh, heading our way in the next couple of weeks. Training camp opens up, obviously, and but I'll, you know, and all people are going to be fixated on the offseason moves. And if there's one division where it's been more in the on the kind of like flying under the radar of the controversy of moves happening this offseason, it's the central division. And lo and behold, we're talking about a team like the Cleveland Cavaliers, who are now the NBA defending champions coming into this season. But I want to know from you, Jeremy, is when you think of this central division, given what they did last year, what's the first thing that comes to mind as we enter for this season? Yeah, definitely. Well, I think that, uh, I mean, you know, the Cavs, I think, are definitely, you know, going to be the story again. Now they're going to repeat. I think that's probably where the focus is going to be. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, the teams were busy. Uh, and I think, you know, you look at Indianapolis, the way they really, like, got aggressive, which I really like, uh, Indiana. And, I mean, the Bulls, yeah, I don't know what you want to call what they did, but they did something. They did a <laughs> lot of stuff. Uh, the Pistons, yeah, the Pistons and Bucks are two young teams that are improving. You know, I, I, for the last two years, I've been thinking that, you know, there's a lot of, I think, potential for this division to get really competitive. Uh, I mean, the Cavaliers, you know, haven't given us much reason to think that they are in any trouble here, but it's going to be definitely, I think, might be the most competitive division in the uh, in the East. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and, and straight up and down, as we go through each of these teams, we'll kind of look at the distinctions of what this offseason has really meant for a couple of these teams. But I agree with your point. Uh, we've been waiting for this Central Division to really step up and be as competitive like the Southwest Division um, in previous years uh, so far as in the NBA. This could be that season. So let's go ahead and get right into it. The team that, that basically finished at the bottom of the division and surprisingly a team that took such a drop off from the year before before the Milwaukee Bucks, you know, they amassed a 500 record, found themselves in the playoffs um, in 2015. Um, but this past season was just an absolute, I'm sorry, 2014, this past season was just an absolute uh, disappointment with only 33 wins. Now, a lot of people can look at uh, injuries that they suffered sporadically throughout the year. Uh, clearly, they made some major splash in the offseason last year, getting Greg Monroe to a three-year $50 million deal. But by All-Star break, they were already entertaining offers to move the guy from the team. Uh, Michael Carter-Williams, a guy that they gambled on, he seems to be the point guard of the future. And now all of a sudden, uh, Jason Kidd is exploring the option of Giannis Atacumpo going from the Greek freak to the Greek unique playing the point forward <laughs> position. So when you talk about all of these things that has taken place now, and now with the loss of Chris Middleton, uh, John Hammond not resting on his laurels, he decides to make a big move and gets Mike Beasley uh, not too long ago. What does this all culminate to for the Milwaukee Bucks? Is this a move of desperation or is there a belief that the things that they're doing is still in place for them to be the competitive team they should have been last season? Yeah, you know, to some degree, you know, so I covered that uh, that Bulls Buck series uh, two years ago in Chicago. I was out there uh, back when I was living in Chicago, and like, I think just in some ways that was the worst thing that could have happened to the Bucks. And I've said this before, but I think that that set the bar probably a little bit unfairly high uh, last season, you know. And then you saw them lose a couple uh, role players, you know, from one season to the next. You know, there was some change. You know, getting Monroe in, I think, was a good experiment that they had to try. Uh, but, you know, so last year was disappointing and definitely tough and maybe not uh, what we thought. But I also think there were a lot of positives. So, I, like, yeah, I think you could point to, you know, Giannis's development as the obvious one. But also, you know, Jabari Parker, uh, you know, a guy who I, you know, uh, I've always been a fan of, you know, getting back to high school. I think he, he made a lot of strides uh, over the course of the year that sort of flew under the radar as well. Uh, it really sucks to see Middleton go down, man, because I, I think that's going to be a, probably a bigger blow than maybe we realize uh, just because of the, you know, the role that he plays is such an important one on both sides of the ball. Um, but I, I think that it's just all going to be about how they cope with that. I think that's going to sort of determine, you know, I, I thought they could be in sort of like the, you know, sort of in that hunt for the eighth seed with him. I don't know if it's going to be that, but I also think that the Bucks are in a place where they can afford to be patient because it's easy to forget that Giannis is 21 years old and so is Jabari. So it's just like the patience is, has been kind of up and down with the team. So this Milwaukee Bucks team went from fourth in defensive rating season two seasons ago to like 23rd last year. I think that was a big hole and a lot of people want to blame Monroe and his addition of what he doesn't bring for them in, in the, at the center position defensively. But, you know, where else do you think were the, some of the pitfalls that they had defensively last year and how can they make some of that ground up this coming season? Yeah, well, I, I think last year, I mean, I think it might have been just a little bit tricky throughout. I mean, I think I believe that, I mean, Pachulia was the center and then you replaced him with Monroe and then they, they had Plumlee and Henson kind of platooning behind it. Uh, I think that was part of it. Uh, I, I think that a lot of it also, uh, I think over the course of the year, I mean, Carter Williams was also hurt, I believe. Uh, so it's just like, and when, when anytime you have young guys and you're trying to figure out what the best, you know, move is, like ultimately, I mean, you can look at it like this. I mean, they were winning games with defense that year. Uh, but like long-term, is that going to be the identity of this team? You know, with the scorers they have, the playmakers, like if you want to buy into Giannis and Jabari as like the future of this team and believe they can play together, 
then you know they're not necessarily going to be winning by holding teams to 90 points. You know, that's just with the personnel fit, at least the way I see it. Uh, you know, I, I think it's okay that they may, may, maybe moved away from that a little bit. Um, but I mean, as far as last season, also I think the shooting uh, shooting was an issue. I mean, not, it wasn't an exceptionally deep backcourt. You know, obviously now they've lost OJ Mayo. Uh, you know, with his uh, obviously what happened to him. So I think it's tricky. I think you you can point to this season. I think the backcourt. Uh, looking at you know, it's after losing uh, Middleton, it's going to be tough. I think that's going to be sort of uh, going to determine a lot of how, at least how they start uh, this season. Jeremy Wu joining us here on the Baseline NBA podcast as we're previewing the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, Milwaukee Bucks finishing with 33 wins, did not make the playoffs uh, this past season, but was in the playoffs in the year previously. And, you you know, you touched on a couple of good points when we're looking at players and their maturation process. And youth is definitely the factor here. And I think one of the things that we kind of wondered with Jason Kidd as being the head coach is, is he capable of, uh, of, of basically guiding these guys in the right direction, showing them how to win basketball games? And we saw glimpses of him kind of wiping away that stigma that he wasn't a sound head coach that with without a veteran uh, assistant head coach around uh, coaches around him mm-hmm. that he wouldn't be able to guide these guys in the direction of where they could possibly go and look for a moment, let's just remove the Cleveland Cavaliers from the picture because outside of that, everybody pretty much was on the same playing field, especially with Paul George mm-hmm. coming off the injury. So when you look at the guys that he currently has, and I, I would like to think that for Jason Kidd, these are the guys that he wants. What's it going to take for them to take that next step? We clearly saw that, and you brought up Jabari Parker. We clearly see that from Giannis Antetokounmpo. What's the deal with Michael Carter-Williams? Because this was a hand-picked move, I'm thinking, from Jason Kidd to want him to be here, and he hasn't lived up to the hype so far. Yeah, I mean, in order for them to be a playoff team, I mean, it's going to take kind of a perfect storm. Uh, I mean, I like the addition of Delhi. I think they got tougher. You know, I mean, they're a very young team. Uh, you know, they got Jason Terry in there. You know, he I actually was productive. You know, he probably played a little bit more than he had to last year. So anyway, I, I like the moves that they made a little bit. You know, they weren't really in a place where they could take a big swing. Milwaukee's never going to be a place necessarily that will be able to land those top guys. Like, that's why Monroe is such an anomaly in a way. Um but, I mean, they're going to have to figure out what to do with Monroe, first of all. Like, he, if they can figure out how to use him in the offense, you know, he can be a big help. But I think that he stops. He's kind of a ball stopper, you know, obviously, uh, with the, you know, the way he likes to score. Uh, so, I mean, if, you can, if they can move him and find something to sort of help, you know, ease the loss of middle time, I think that'll help. Because I don't think Beasley's going to fix it. Like, for them to make the playoffs, it's going to take definitely Giannis, like, breaking out all the way. Like, the point Giannis thing has to work. And I'm not necessarily convinced it's going to be a thing that, is going to be a you know a, a full game uh, move for them. I don't know if it's going to be because you know it's obviously an extremely effective in spurts. I don't know if, how long they're going to go with it, and I think that's the central question. Is like he's going to be demanding so much of the ball, uh, and you know he's going to be. I assume his usage is going to you know go up. Uh, so and I think then will 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 Jabari be able to thrive? I think if Giannis is dominating the ball that much, those are my two big questions because those two guys and how much they score are going to get to determine you know how far this team goes. So we've talked about Middleton, you know, uh, quite a bit. And obviously he did a lot for them on both sides of the basketball. Not even just scoring, but he was probably one of their elite shooters and was a great playmaker for them as well, too. Now, Beasley comes over to this roster. Is We know he can't do the same things Middleton does, but does he come in there as a, as a starter? Because I'm looking at this team now, and you're trying to think, okay, maybe obviously Giannis is a starter. Does Middleton's injury make sure MCW does stay in the starting lineup now? Jabari starts, Monroe starts. How do you figure they, they, they figure this out? They move Jabari to the three. They keep him at that stretch four. Who slides in now in Middleton's, in Middleton's starting spot, necessarily, not necessarily his actual position? 
Right. Yeah. And I, I think that's a great question. That's, that's the thing that is going to be tough to predict. I mean, they could go big. They could start, I mean, they could start like Mirza Toledovich at the four. I don't know if Beasley is going to come in and start, you know, I don't know if he's ready to do that. Uh, and I mean, obviously, you know, Beasley's a guy, we know what he can do and he can be helpful you know, as a scorer, but beyond that, he's not, you know, his game isn't especially diversified. I don't know if starting him is necessarily the move. I think that was more of a move for depth. Um, but I mean, the, looking at their roster, I don't think, I mean, Carter Williams could certainly start, but I don't know if, I mean, because he's not really a shooting factor, I don't know if his fit is next to Giannis. Like, I think, looking at it, I think if you start Giannis and you play him next to Del Vadova, who can guard point guards and can hit a three in space the floor a little bit better, and then have Jabari out there, uh, you know, maybe Toledovich, you're going to have, that fifth spot is going to be the key, uh, really. Like, like you said, it's going to be a huge <laughs> figuring out how to patch it. The Milwaukee Bucks uh, with a home record of 23-18, and 18, but abysmal on the road with a 10-31 and 31 record. Hopefully they will look to improve that. John Hammond clearly seeing the writing on the wall. Uh, new contract extension to Giannis Antetokounmpo. Could that secure the future of the Milwaukee Bucks moving forward and possibly bringing in some high-regarded free agents in the upcoming years, depending upon what the Milwaukee Bucks does? This is The Baseline. Cal Lee Warren Shaw discussing the hot-button topics of the NBA with our special guest, Jeremy Wu for sportsillustrated.com as we preview the 2016 NBA season Central Division. And as we move forward, let's talk about the team that finished second to last place, which is really something that you'll never utter in the Chicago area. When you talk about the Chicago Bulls, no one ever talks about the Chicago Bulls finishing anything less than first or second, maybe third in a division. But this is a team that finished fourth. Um, and really what looked like a, a basketball team under the helm of Fred Hoiberg, where the thought process was we are going to modify the way this team plays offensively we're going to change the way that the game is played for these guys we're going to move the tempo up we're going to give the Bulls fans a different style of basketball and for Fred Hoiberg this couldn't have been more the opposite so now we're talking about what do you do in the offseason to really give Hoiberg what he wants and give the Chicago Bulls fans what they want which are wins and what they come out with probably is going to be the most talked about offseason moves in the NBA next to the Durant decision, the Chicago Bulls signed Rajon Rondo, which at the time might have sounded like a very sound decision, but then they go ahead and they get Dwayne Wade. Or maybe Dwayne Wade went and got the Chicago Bulls. Nobody knows, and nobody will probably be able to better tell us that. Maybe Jeremy might be able to give us the insight on this. But when you look at what the Bulls did in this offseason with this roster that is quote-unquote supposed to be Jimmy Butler's team for a team that finished 42-40, and 40, what is this just saying about the Chicago Bulls moving forward going into this season, given what they've just done in this offseason? Man, yeah. I, I mean, first of all, I got to say, I mean, it was a very emotional, I think, for me, uh, you know, growing up a Bulls fan, like watching all this stuff kind of unfold. Uh, it was a very weird offseason. Uh, I got to say, I mean, I hated the Rondo move at first. Uh, I still don't know if I like it. I think it's kind of obvious, like, I guess reading the tea leaves here, I don't have any inside info on this, but, like, they definitely didn't know they were going to get Wade until he probably called them, like, hey, you know, because they had been pursuing him for years. You know, he's, the couple times that he was on, on the market as a free agent, you know, they wanted him. They wanted him back in the draft. They got stuck with Heinrich that year. Heinrich, not to hate, yeah, good Bulls career, whatever. <laughs> Heinrich's my guy. But, We've been trying to get Heinrich yeah. to listen to our show. I don't know if this is going <laughs> to help any, but, yeah. <laughs> Heinrich's my guy, man. But, but look, I mean – it's definitely, if it says anything about the Bulls, it's that the Bulls didn't really know, you know, they have no idea what they're doing right now. And like, I think that they did, there are definitely some positives to take away. I mean, if you look at the Rose move, like in a, purely from a basketball standpoint, I think that 
they're getting out from what would have been difficult contract negotiations this year. Uh, you know, I think he would have been able to demand probably more than they would have wanted to pay him with the injury risk. If he had a great season this year, they would have had to pay it. So it's just like they shed that risk. You know, Rondo and Wade are both on one-year deals. I can see a scenario where this all kind of doesn't go well at all, and they all walk, and it's, you know. And then, then again, you got to remember, they almost traded Butler on draft nights. So, uh, you know, they were talking to the Timberwolves. That, all, that was very close to happening. So all these things are just like, what are they doing? Hmm. Nobody knows. Do they know? Uh, and ultimately, is it going to be a net gain in the win column? I don't know, but it's definitely going to be more interesting. And, and I think they have, like, bottom line, there's still talent on this team. You know, it's a veteran team. Will they be able to find a way to make it work? And is Hoiberg the guy to do that? Those are the big questions. So this team is, you know, it's, it's even hard to talk about analytics and statistics with them because, like, to me, I just feel like it's, it's a completely different roster than it was it was in a season ago. There's 100%. Yeah, there's so much turnover on this team. So throwing all that away, looking at the guys that they do have and some guys who they've, they've wanted to develop and a guy who was kind of still in semi-developed into a little bit of a fan favorite, let's talk about Taj Gibson, Tony Snell, Nicole, Nicola Meritich, and, and Bobby Portis. These guys here are on this roster. I think Meritage probably has to start because we all know the spacing and the shooting. You know, they're not going to be able to have that. But does Gibson or Doug McDermott or, or Tony Snell, do all those guys finish, finish, the, finish the season on this roster? Or do you need to move one of those guys, potentially bring in some more elite shooting for this team? Absolutely. I, I think shooting is definitely going to be the key. Adding shooting would help. Uh, like you said, Meritage is going to have to play. He's going to have to be effective. If not, you know, maybe they swing something. I don't think McDermott can be a stretch forward just because it's not – you know, the physical aspect of it from what you need from a rebounding standpoint. Like, look, I mean, Wade and Butler are good rebounders. So from a team, you know, team rebounding perspective, you know, Lopez is a solid defender. You know, Gibson can do that too. Uh, but obviously shooting is the key. Like, how long can they play Rondo, Wade, and Butler together? Uh, you know, just with, you know, the issues that causes, uh, with all of them being kind of, at times, you know, suspect uh, three-point shooters. You know, it's funny, Rondo actually shot the best three-point percentage of the three of them last year, uh, which is weird. I, I, like, found that out over the summer and was stunned. But, I mean, yeah, they, they may need to make moves to shuffle uh, the deck in terms of the role players. Like, I, I, I'm not a believer in Tony Snell. You know, I've seen it too many times, games where he kind of just fades out. Like, I'm curious to see what's up with Denzel Valentine. Like, if he can make shots, that'll be big. But the issue with that is he is still another guy who is better with the ball in his hands. Uh, You know, like, maybe he'll be as kind of, like, spell Rondo as a – I don't know if he's really a point guard. Like, how they use him is going to be interesting. Uh, But that's another indicator, I think. Like, taking him and then drafting Rondo and then adding Wade. Like, I don't think they knew they were going to get Wade. So it's just, like – what is Hoiberg's plan? Because, you know, he, he uh, favors, like, you know, the spacing, the shooting, and this is not necessarily that. Uh, so I think that is going to be something that they're going to have to address. Jeremy, you touched on a really interesting point regarding the, the lack of shooting. And I think that there's a difference between lack of shooting and lack of ability to shoot the basketball. Maybe it's because of the offensive scheme or maybe it's because of the personnel that you have on the basketball court. And when you look at the Chicago Bulls team, they ranked 24th in the amount of three-point attempts that were made. With that being said, the thing that I think is really scary is now you've got guys who are not as willing to shoot the three ball unless they absolutely have to in guys like Rajon Rondo, Dwayne Wade. So with that being said, if your premier player is Butler and Butler only shot 31% from three this past season, how much emphasis is now going to be on him to find other ways to score the basketball? Will the emphasis be on him having to shoot the basketball more from three because he doesn't have supplemental parts on the court as as much as he's going to be on there for them to shoot the ball the way that they'll probably need to in this Hoiberg offense? Yeah, you know, I mean, it is a big if, but if Butler can add, you know, 
some type of, you know, I mean, he, he's, he can make threes, but he just has not been reliable in, from that standpoint. I mean, and look, a lot of the offense ran through him last year. So it's like, you know, if, if that steps back, if he has more open looks, maybe that works. But it's just, it's just more a matter of like when you're playing the three of them together, because at the end of the game, they're all going to want to be on the floor. You know, you don't want to like you've seen teams piss off Rondo in the past that never go as well. Uh, so it's just like I can see this going downhill so fast just because of the way that they have to make it all fit. Like, I, I just don't know if, if this is going to work. It's like I'm very curious, like maybe we're banking on like a Doug McDermott breakout. And I don't know if that is a good idea either, but someone's going to have to be able to provide that spacing. They're going to have to figure out how to stagger the minutes. Like I, you, you know, you've seen Wade, you know, miss in the last few years, you know, Wade has, you know, taken his time and sat out games and that's probably what they'll do again. I, if they feel like they're going to make the playoffs, but that's even in doubt. So I, I'm just, I'm really curious to see how they're going to manage it. It's going to be a huge challenge. And I think Hoiberg in some ways, like might take the fall for it. If this doesn't work out. I got a two part question for you. You know, that's one of my favorite things to do on the baseline. And first part is defensively. Um, that seems to be where this team could have somewhat of a con card, if you will, especially with Rolo in the middle over there. You know, guy's not going to block a lot of shots, but he stays in front of people, just knows what to do, sets good screens and offense as well, too. Get, a, get some awesome offensive rebounds. But I think the guy I really am interested in is Rondo. Um, and can he get back to not necessarily elite form? Because I think he was probably always a little bit overrated defensively. He's a gambler, plays takes plays the passing lanes pretty well. But can he be a a a, a guy at least somewhat of a stopper for them on, on defense? And and really, can that be the con card to this team when they can win some games in the '80s and '90s, if you will? And I guess the second part is, who do you think you mentioned McDermott? Who do you think really is kind of the X factor for them off the bench? Yeah, well, yeah, I think Rondo definitely uh, is going to have to you know be a plus on the defensive end, it's not going to be like the Kings, you know what I mean? But every one of that team took plays off last year, you know, and that was a whole different thing. I don't know if I want to like put him in that, you know, change of environment is probably going to be good. I think him playing with Wade, who I, you know, I just assume there's a mutual respect there over the years, you know, maybe that's going to help. Like if, if Rondo can turn into, like you said, he's definitely a guy who gambles, you know, his stats might be a little bit inflated, uh, but you know, he, he's not, he's not done. And he did lead the league in assists last year, I believe. And so it's just like, you know, if he can, you know, be, you know, get, I mean, cause we've seen this out of guys like you know, sometimes you'll get a random, you know, bounce back gear from somebody who you don't expect it from. And w- when the environment changes, I just don't know if I believe in the environment in Chicago, you know, being the right fit for him. Uh, and then I guess to answer the second part about the bench, I think McDermott is the X factor. Um, if we're assuming Miritich starts, I mean, you know, they drafted him, they traded two picks to get him, you know, they invested a lot in him. You know, and he, uh, you know, it was tough for him at first because, you know, Tibbs, you know, was not, he's usually not a guy who's comfortable playing the young guys. And then McDermott was obviously not a great defender. So, uh, but if he can really, if he can hit threes, I mean, I, I think he's capable of shooting close to 40% from three. Like in college, you know, he was a very good shooter. You know, we've seen him do it. I think if he can do that and they can figure out how to make him, you know, just an option on the floor, I think it's going to help. But again, if you're playing McDermott and Miritich, your defense is going to be in trouble. So there's a lot of All right, here. the Chicago Bulls finishing with a 42-40 and 40 record, ninth in the conference, 21st in points um, points scored, uh, 16th in de- uh, points allowed, defensive rating, you know, top 15 team, but among the bottom third when it comes to the offensive rating. So a lot of work ahead for the Chicago Bulls team. And, you know, moving forward, this this new roster, considering it's a roster makeover, uh, is definitely going to be surprising to uh, to Bulls fans. So uh, this season is definitely going to have uh, all eyes pointed on the outcome of whether or not this can be a successful campaign with the additions of Rondo and uh, Dwayne Wade on this roster. You're 
You're tuned to the baseline. Cal Lee, Warren Shaw discussing the hot button topics of the NBA, our 2016-2017 NBA preview of the Central Division with our special guest, Jeremy Wu of SportsIllustrated.com. Be sure to check him out on Twitter at Jeremy Wu. That's W with two O's. Well, a lot of people, I know a lot of people, they, 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 they try to get fancy with it and they don't find their man. So we want to make sure you, uh, you, you catch him on Twitter. Uh, so yeah, not like <laughs> exactly. Uh, so as we move forward, let's go ahead and talk about the team that finished third in the division, man. And, you know, I'm not I'm going to I'm going to parse my my favoritism towards this. I'm just going to say Here we go. it's about time. It's about damn time. These Detroit Pistons stepped up and started showing some face in the central division, a team that finished 44 and 38 this past season. Stan Van Gundy elevating this Pistons team into the playoffs and while they did get knocked off by the by the, um, the the champions, the Cleveland Cavaliers, much can be said about the makeup of this basketball team. Young, fiery, brash, with a little bit of swag, and the Motown City fan base might actually like what they're going to see for this upcoming season. 104.1 uh, points per game. That's only the second time in 10 years that this basketball team is able to average over 100 points in a season, the second out of in the last three years. And so when you look at what this Pistons team is trying to do in this offseason, in many people's mind is you've got the youth do you need to get the uh, the veteran guys around them to have them take the next step? Well, the Pistons add Ish Smith, John Lure, and Boban Majanovic. Talk about adding some wildly <laughs> veteran presence on this team. So is this enough, Jeremy, to get this basketball team to the next level where we're talking about them being a first round uh, uh, get past the first round, possibly into the second round type of basketball team, or is this mo- are the moves that they've just made in this past off season still not going to be enough for this young, real fiery basketball team? Well, excuse me. I mean, I like what they did. I like what they're building. Uh, I think I don't know if this is going to be the year that it happens, but I think that I don't. I mean, if they take a step back, it'd be a disappointment. Like they they've kind of set you know some expectations for themselves now. I I, I still think that on one hand. I don't know if they have the star that's going to really get them to where they need to be. Like, I don't know if Drummond is that guy. But, uh, I mean, Van Gundy knows how to build teams, and he's done it before, and we've seen him sort of, you know, put the foundation there and take his time. And I don't think that – I'm curious to see what, what internally the expectation is going to be, but I think they're going to be right there again. I mean, you, like you said, I mean, I like a lot of the guys that they have got. Like, the young team, I think they really did a, themselves a service by adding a bench. Because I think, to me, that was one of their central problems last year. I didn't watch, you know, I wasn't watching the Pistons every game. But when you see a guy like, you know, Contavious Caldwell-Pope playing 38 minutes a night, like, you know, there are a lot of guys who are, you know, relied on for a lot of minutes. And I think that if they can really find a way to sort of balance the roles, I mean, they really did a good job of addressing, you know, bench scoring and depth. And, uh, you know, if they can find a way to kind of keep guys ready and keep them healthy and sort of stagger minutes out better, uh, I think you'll probably see some positive gains from it. So, like, I, I don't think they'll be competitive. They're going to be fun to watch. And I think uh, one player I'm looking at, I mean, Stanley Johnson, is he going to have a breakout year? When, when is it going to happen? I've always been a fan of Stanley's. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm definitely curious. I think there's a lot of potential to, for this team to be fun. Well, I like what you said there because I think that leads me into my very next point. And you were right. Troy Pistons were last in bench scoring last year, roughly a paltry 26 points per game off, off, off the pine, if you will. And they really did play their starters a lot of plus minutes. Guys like Stanley Johnson are going to play a huge role. I think John Lewis is going to play a huge role for them, you know, giving them a space uh, a spacer, you know, at that at that four position as well. Ish Smith really coming in, I think, you know, maligned for, for a lot of ways. But I think he can play, especially in a backup role. But when you look at this overall bench bench production or the guys that they've added, 
is it really just the maturation, maturation process of Stanley Johnson? Is that the most important thing for them? Or do you think Johnson can even contend now for a starting position and maybe bring KCP off the bench? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd like to see Stanley start, but I think he's probably, my, my guess is Caldwell Pope is pretty safe. I think he did himself some favors last year. I mean, I'd like to see, you know, Stanley move, you know, maybe start a small forward. But, I mean, obviously Marcus Morris is there. You know, he's, he also played a lot of minutes last year. Like, I think it's probably, if it happens, it'd be like a midseason thing. Uh, if there's an injury or some stuff shuffles. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I think that he gives them some defensive toughness. And, like, uh, you know, obviously the Tobias Harris uh, trade last year, I think, was kind of a windfall for them uh, just in terms of not having to give up that much to get him. And, like, so they have talent. I, I just think that ultimately the ceiling is going to be determined but determined by, like, Reggie Jackson and Andre Drummond because, I mean, you know, obviously two best players, it's kind of obvious, but it's like they're asking a lot out of those guys. You know, Drummond still has his issues. You saw last year with the free throws where they had to, you know, keep him on the bench in the fourth quarter a lot. So, like, is that going to be a problem again? Like, will that still be an issue? Probably. You know, the rule changes are going to help maybe a little bit. Uh, but ultimately, it's just, uh, I think there is, the biggest issue is probably going to be scoring. Who's going to score? You know, because we've seen teams you know, succeed in terms of some of their parts. But then when you get to the playoffs, that becomes such an issue sometimes. One of the things that I saw last season, uh, Jeremy, with this basketball team, um, especially when it came to crucial moments, is that this team still seemed to be hampered by the roster that they're playing with. Like when you look at guys like Tobias Harris, Marcus Morris, and Stanley Johnson, while each of them have a different skill set, they virtually pretty much bring the same game to the floor. And it's really just going to be a question of in the next couple of years, what, what who, who is what, who is going to do what to really separate themselves. So when you have situations like what the Cleveland Cavaliers will do, which is decide to go to a small lineup, you know, it kind of neutralizes Andre Drummond and what he brings to the table because he can be a monster when he has that matchup advantage. But if, unless he's getting that same kind of help from the four, the three or the four position, it almost seems like it, it, it's a matter of, well, who do you put in there that's going to best supplement this team to better to play either better defense because it doesn't seem like they're going to get much from their offense. Who do you think is going to give the Pistons the best opportunity offensively when there are times that Andre Drummond gets neutralized and you're not getting any shooting from Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Reggie Jackson is not hitting his shots. Out of those three guys, Morris, Johnson, or Harris, who really needs to step up for this basketball team to have that third elite score that they need? Yeah, well, I, I think I think it's going to fall. I think, I mean, if Harris is capable of taking that step forward, I, mean, I think that's huge. Because Morris, I thought, was pretty good last year most of the time. He was pretty consistent, it seemed like, statistically uh, so, I mean, if, if Drummond's out of the game, then what do they do? I mean, it's, it's interesting that they've rostered essentially three true centers with Drummond, Baines, and Boban. It's like, you know, when you go small, what are you going to do? Are you going to put Lure at center? Like, maybe. And if they do that, they can, you know, spread it out and maybe try some stuff. But and when they need offense, it's, I think it's going to come down to, like, last year a lot of the time, I, I watched a lot of games, you know, in the fourth quarter where it came down to, you know, just get, everyone knew Reggie Jackson's going to take the shot. You know, they don't have another guy who's really a shot creator for himself. I think that might be an issue for them as well. No, they, I mean, they did fine, obviously, like making it to the playoffs. You know, 44 wins, really good. But there were some late-game situations where you just you know that it's going to be Reddy Jackson in the pick-and-roll, and, you know, teams, smart teams are going to be able to handle that. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's – I don't – you know, my, your guess is as good as mine. I think Stanley Johnson would be a good candidate. I, I don't know if his offense is at the point yet, uh, you know, where he's diversified it, where he's going to be a second or third option. But I, ideally, you know, next, next couple of years, he's got to be that guy as well. I think the pressure – or not the pressure, but I think the expectation would be – uh, for Stanley to hopefully be that guy. Well, I'm just going to follow up on that question really quickly. You know, Jeremy, what is your impression and the, I guess the impact you think Tobias Harris can have to, specifically on this team? Trade for a midseason. He obviously played better under, under Sam Van Gundy than he did in, in Orlando under Scott Skiles. Um, 
that team really seems to lean on him to do a lot of things. And do you think he's someone who is capable, again, not necessarily an all-star level talent, but definitely a guy who can really play both sides of the basketball. What is your overall opinion on Harris and what he means to this roster and this rotation? Yeah, you know, I, I still don't know if we've seen the best for him. Like, I mean, he got 17 a game two years ago. Uh, and he, uh, you know, he, or sorry, one year ago. And like, he, you know, we know he's capable of scoring. He can shoot. He's one of those guys who like can do, you know, a little bit of everything well. But I don't know if he is going to be really a go-to guy. Like I like him as a you know third option or whatever. But it's just going to be. Uh, I think it's going to be tough for them. I think because you know either he's going to have to take a step forward or someone else is going to have to. I don't know where it's going to come from. Like I said earlier, so it's just like I, I like Harris enough. I don't know if he's the guy to do that. Jeremy, we're joining us here at the Baseline NBA Podcast as we're previewing the uh, Detroit Pistons. Team finishing in the uh, the eighth seed of the Eastern Conference and finishing third in the Central Division. Jeremy, the dynamic of of Reggie Jackson, you know, this guy is kind of an enigma at times. There are moments where he shows you flashes of of being that hybrid point guard, someone that looks like he can explode at any given moment, and then there are moments where you know he he actually implodes, uh, where you know his game doesn't translate mm-hmm. to I think the type of success that I even think that Van Gundy is expecting from him to be the floor general for this basketball team. So in they bring in a guy like Ish Smith, a journeyman guy who. It doesn't. It seems like every time they try to kill this guy's dream of being an NBA player yeah. off, he goes and he proves everybody wrong. He just made the Philadelphia 76ers this past season a relevant enough basketball team to even make Ben Simmons consider the fact that he has a chance to make that franchise look something different than what they've looked like the last five, six years. Ish Smith coming to this basketball team, what's this dynamic going to be like if you've got Reggie Jackson and Ish Smith? Because I got to believe that Ish Smith brings a more up-tempo style to the game that Van Gundy is hoping he forces on Reggie Jackson to start implementing himself as the lead point guard for this basketball team. Definitely. Well, if I'm Reggie Jackson right now, I'm not too worried. I think they've just, they've invested a lot in him. Uh, You know, he has been a guy for them in big moments in the past. Like, you know, like you said, he can be very mercurial, tough to peg. I don't think Addie Smith is going to put his job in danger at all, but I do think, I think it'll help in some sense just to be able to, you know, again, I talk a lot about staggering bench lineups, but their bench was so rough at times. Like there was such a high workload placed on those starters, you know, having a guy who can play 20 minutes a night, you know, get other guys the ball. Uh, you know, I, I like ish, you know, he's kind of, he's fun. Uh, he's, you know, he's had some good moments and yeah, I think it's cool that he keeps kind of popping back up. So I'm happy for him, you know, to get a chance. I think this is going to be a place where he can actually really help a lot. Uh, because I think, you know, Reggie Jackson, if you can sort of give him a little bit of a rest more, you know, I guess the tricky part is I'm sure he wants to be the guy. Like, I'm, I'm sure Reggie thinks he can play 35, 40 in a night, right? So it's just, you know, handling that uh, is going to be a question. But uh, I, I think it's definitely a strength, uh, definitely to have you know, to have depth as a position. It, it seems obvious, but I mean, they didn't have it as much last year. So The Detroit Pistons, uh, a team that uh, while they were the second best in the league in rebounding per game, uh, they were amongst the bottom third in assists. So hopefully uh, Reggie Jackson will distribute and and uh, kind of bring Christmas a little bit right. early for the Detroit Pistons basketball team from an offensive uh, perspective to distribute the basketball more, give more opportunities for Absolutely. them to ascend themselves to being among one of the best in the Eastern Conference for this upcoming season. You're tuned to the baseline, Cal Lee Warren Shaw, discussing the hot button topics of the NBA, our Central Division preview with special guest Jeremy Wu from SportsIllustrated.com as we transition to the second best team in the 
division. And look, I don't think anybody, if you were to ask us a year ago before the season started, that the Indiana Pacers would be one of the best teams in this division, even with knowing Paul George was expected to come back. And I think the caveat to this was what kind of Paul George was going to come back to help this Pacers team amass 45 wins in this division. In the beginning of the season, it looked like Paul George, um, uh, please don't forget about me. I should be considered MVP of the NBA coming out there like gangbusters, putting this team as among one of the best. Uh, but the second half, clearly you can see that the season kind of weared on Paul George. The load really burdened him. And Frank Vogel, as hard as he tried to, to, to really show Larry Bird that he is, quote unquote, a versatile kind of coach, it wasn't enough for him to maintain his position as being the head coach of this offseason. And while all the talk about the Indiana Pacers was this team is going to be more up-tempo, they're going to be a little bit more offensively explosive, they go and they get Nate McMillan as their head coach, who everybody knows this man is about that D. <laughs> so, Jeremy, when, but now let's not let it be known that Larry Bird, there's a right. method to his madness. So he goes out and he gets Jeff Teague and, and he gets Al Jefferson and a litany of quality veteran guys Thaddeus Young, Jeremy Evans, Kevin Serapin. I mean, it may not be remiss that despite the hiring of Nate McMillan, Jeremy, this Pacers team might be just that damn good. Yeah, no, I, I really love what Indiana did uh, this offseason. I think they had one of the better offseasons, and I like it because, I mean, you can tell it came straight from the top. I mean, last last year, a lot of the dialogue, and you know, they struggled. They were up and down. They had some very good stretches. Uh, but again, it was all talking about, you know, Bird uh, consistently was – to bring up the issue of small ball, you know, you heard it from him a lot. And now I think you've seen them kind of engineer a team that can actually, you know, do that. Uh, you know, they asked a lot out of guys last year. I mean, you saw there wasn't really a good answer at power forward in terms of, you know, Paul George doesn't like playing the four. You know, CJ Miles played a lot of minutes at power forward. Like, it was not ideal. They made it work. Uh, and I think uh, there's definitely enough talent here. I guess with Monte Ellis being the, the main question mark, I mean, it wouldn't shock me if he... You know, is he's gone or moved elsewhere by midseason? Uh, if there's a taker for him, is another question. But you know, he doesn't necessarily fit with what they're trying to do. Uh, but I mean, Thaddeus Young is a great answer. You know, being able to go small, I think he'll be a great counterpart for Paul George. Like, I, I think that there's definitely a lot of potential for this team to sort of get back to uh, where they were a few years ago. Uh, and you know, obviously George being healthy is what is enabling all that. So, what is your confidence level in, I guess, in Nate McMillan and his ability to kind of mesh this brand new talent together, if you will? Jeff Teague, I think he's in a contract here, so he, he he's going to obviously be looking to try to get his money and obviously play well, or the Pacers have came out and said they want to resign him. Miles Turner is looking to establish himself. I've seen him all over social media and a bunch of different interviews saying that he wants to be a double-double guy this year, so he's going to be trying to take that next step. You know, we have obviously we have Paul George, a potential MVP candidate, and then obviously Montalas, as we as you just alluded to, a lot of different egos with not to say agendas on their on their on their radar, but some things that they're all trying to accomplish, I think, individually and as a team. How hard will this be for Nate McMillan to manage all of this this season? Yeah, well, you know, I think he's a guy who you know has had some success before, and obviously, like you know, as an assistant with the team, you know, he's I, I like that they sort of stayed you know internal and you know found a guy who uh, you know was gonna you know familiar with the team already and sort of understands what they've been going through. Like, you know, I, I'm not as I'm not so worried about him uh, as head coach. I mean, I think it was just you know I, I think Frank Vogel is a very good coach. I think it, you know changing it up uh, sometimes can you know be helpful and you know th there's new personnel obviously which is gonna you know change things but I i'm not too worried about from the locker room standpoint it's a team that's been there before you know i mean you have t coming from a team that was very you know the hawks obviously were a pretty 
and him that got along well by all, all accounts, you know, like mesh well, you know, was a team first style, you know, so I think Teague is a guy who can pick his spots. I think it'll help him to have that change of scenery. Uh, I think George Hill is a very good player, um, but I think, I, I like that they really are trying to move offensively. And I think the point that, I guess the biggest question for me is I think Miles Turner, uh, you know, if he, you know, takes a step forward second season, you know, he's got time, but it, it, how much better is he going to be this year? Because if he is really a threat, uh, and if he can also, you know, take a step defensively, he can really make this team dangerous. Jeremy, you know, you bring up um, an interesting point. And one thing that I noticed about Jeff Jeff Teague is, and it's funny because I think in the Indiana community, they love George Hill. I mean, it's like one of their own, but they didn't love what George Hill was doing for the basketball team from a point guard perspective. And here you got a guy like Jeff Teague, who I felt like fell into the same kind of uh, perception, so to speak, when he was playing in Atlanta. You know, I'm sure that the people in Atlanta loved, you know, what what he could potentially be, but they they got tired of the dreaming of what he should be to that basketball team. So now he comes here to Indiana. And we often talk about how guys, when they switch teams, they need a new change of pace. They need a new scenery. Maybe that's what it'll take to help elevate the game. How does this translate for a guy like Nate McMillan, who is going to be cru- crucially looked at for getting this team to bait to play better offensive basketball, given what Vogel was able to do with this team last year? Can Teague, because we all know that Paul George is their best scorer, but then now it's kind of a toss up as to who's going to step up and be that second guy. I'm not sure that Monte Ellis is going to be that guy. And if the expectation is Jeff Keegan is the kind of guy that we thought he would be in Atlanta, he just never gave himself the chance. Can he explode to be that guy now in Indiana next to Paul George? Yeah, I mean, I think he, it's absolutely huge just from the, when you look at it. I mean, they really haven't had, you know, a second playmaker, uh, you know, to give George a break. And, you know, sometimes it's just, it's so valuable, I think, you know, being able to have guys who can make plays, obviously, for other, for teammates. You know, Ellis is not, and he's a guy who can penetrate, but obviously looks for his own shot a lot. Uh, not necessarily a distributor, never has been. So I think just having that in there, just having someone who you know is going to be able to get guys the ball, who can get his own shot, who just defenses have to worry about. You can throw it if it looks around. George doesn't have to be on the ball all the time. You can you know have Tegan and rest George, whatever. I think it's huge. It just it just makes them a lot more like dimensional offensively. Uh, it adds a lot of different things they can do. Uh, I mean, I really love the move. I uh, I get what you're losing in Hill, who's a you know, very underappreciated player at times. I think, but. Uh, I, I like it. I, I, and again, I don't know what his fit is going to be like next to Ellis in the backcourt. That's why I say, you know, we could see Stucky, Rodney Stucky get more minutes. I don't know what it's going to be in terms of shooting guard position for them. But, I mean, I loved it. I, just, I think it really is going to give them some uh, some opportunities. It's just it's another weapon that they didn't have before. They seem to have a lot of bigs, you know, guys who are going to want to play. Obviously, Al Jefferson is a huge addition and someone I think is coming there to, you know, play the veteran role as well to help some of the young bigs develop. But, I want to talk about the point guard situation, obviously behind Jeff Teague. Do you think they have enough depth there with playmaking? I mean, obviously with Ellis there, who can, if he does finish the season there, you know, he can handle some of those duties. Paul George can create as well, too. Uh, but do you think they need a, nat- a, a natural point guard behind there? Because right now we're looking at Aaron Brooks and, and Joe Young, nice players, but they don't strike me as great playmakers. Do, do you think that's an issue of concern, or will they be a riot having some of the other guys handle the ball? Uh, you know, I'm not that uh, worried about it necessarily. I mean, I think Brooks is, you know, he's had some – you know, serviceable years, you know, I mean, I watch him a lot in Chicago, you know, he has his, his issues, but you know, he can, you know, he can give you 15 minutes a night and it's not going to be, 
you know, necessarily the worst thing. I mean, I don't know if we're looking at the Pacers as a contender. If we're judging them on the scale of like, will they, you know, be in the East Finals? I would say, you know, this is would be a weakness. But in terms of for them getting to where they need to get and where we hope they get, you know, I think they can, you know, be perfectly successful uh, with with what they have. You know, knowing that also Stucky is going to be able to handle some of those minutes. Like, I think that's less of a concern for me. Indiana Pacers, a team that surprisingly, uh, you know, got 45 wins this past season, um, 17th in the league with 102 points per game. Um, even though that that uh, that workload was on um, Paul George's shoulders, uh, a team defensively though top 10, no question. So Nate's got a lot to play with. This team could actually even be better uh, defensively if he's the one putting together the schemes. Uh, but certainly this basketball team um, has high expectations to replicate what they did this past season. You're tuned to the baseline. Cal Lee, Warren Shaw discussing the hot button topics of the NBA, our 2016-2017 NBA preview of the Central Division with special guest Jeremy Wu from SportsIllustrated.com. Be sure to check him out on Twitter at Jeremy Wu, W with two O's. Jeremy, let's go ahead and get right into it, man. The best team out of the Central Division was actually the best team out of the NBA, the last man standing, and that being the Cleveland Cavaliers. And listen, nothing needs to be said that um, even though this was a team that amassed 57 wins, um, their run to get themselves to the NBA Finals made them seem like a team that would probably wound up with 60-something plus wins. Um, but in the Eastern Conference, it just happened to be that the only team that was really pushing them were the Toronto Raptors. Um, other than that, Tyron Tyr- Lue would have probably rested those guys, you know, probably somewhere in the second week after the All-Star break. It's, that's pretty much how dominant the Cleveland Cavaliers truly was the second half of the season. But a lot of changes still left to be said. And, and I think the question remains that when you look at this basketball team within this division, um, certainly they're going to be the top of the class when you got LeBron James. But I think the emergence of Kyrie Irving playing as Uncle Drew, um, I think is certainly going to be helpful. And, you know, a questionable status maybe with Kevin Love as far as where he really fits in the scheme of things, you know, long term with the, the Cleveland Cavaliers. If this team continues to do what they just did the second half of last season and winning the finals, could this be one of those dominant threesomes that we talk about, like the Miami Heat going to four straight NBA finals when we talk about this team? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing that comes to mind for me when I'm thinking about the Cavs is I think they're in a really, I mean, obviously it's nice to win a title, but they're in a, like, especially good position here because you know, most teams, they win that first title together and then it's like, oh, are they going to repeat? What, you know, the pressure is on them. But all the pressure is like, I think, it's going to be on the Warriors again after getting Durant, right? So I think from that standpoint, I think a lot of the pressure is off for Cleveland. Like, you know, they very well could repeat. And when they get, if they get to the finals, I think they probably will. I, we have to favor them to do it. I mean, they're still going to be the underdog if they are playing the Warriors, right? Like at least from right now, like looking at it, it on paper, obviously injuries stuff happens, but like right now, there's not that much you know pressure on them necessarily to repeat. And they've shown that they know how to pace themselves over the course of a year. You know, if anything, I hope that winning the title will. I mean, obviously, there's been a lot of weird things that happen. There's like weird drama with LeBron teams. We talk about it because there's people always need stuff to talk about during the season, right? It's, it's a long year, so anyway, I, I feel like they've dealt with that now. If anything, it should. I think it should help. Like it should be easier. Like Kevin Love to think about, you know, obviously it's been a little tumultuous at times, but what, you know, the pressure should be off uh, for him right now. So uh, it's, in terms of big threes, like they, they probably got to win another title or two before we really talk about it like that. Like, cause love has had games where he disappears, but I mean, seeing Kyrie take a step forward in the playoffs is huge. LeBron is obviously fine. Uh, I think they, 
there's no reason to think that they won't be able to you know, get right back to the finals. So, I mean, we've talked about this team, as you, as you just alluded to, probably will take, you know, not as many wins to win the, in the Eastern Conference this year, and they, they are more focused on the playoffs. But is there anywhere that this team needs to improve on, you think, you know, just in, just in general from this thing? Is, is, is it a rebounding thing? Is it an outside shooting thing? Because, you know, no team is perfect one way or the other, and obviously, you know, they're going to kind of coast through this regular season. But is there anything that you look at and say, you know what, they could be better at this area, and that could really maybe propel them when it comes to playoff time? Yeah, absolutely. I think... Finding uh, some type of, like, as constituted, you know, remounting may be an issue. I mean, Tristan Thompson uh, did a lot for himself. I was super impressed with the way he played in the playoffs. Uh, he's become one of those really great glue guys, uh, and it's been kind of nice to see his evolution. Uh, he's extremely valuable to them. Yeah, he's, uh, a, he's, he's, a, he's yeah. evolved from an NBA champion to another one of the uh, another one of the the studs in the male staple of the the Kardashian clan. So, <laughs> right, <laughs> I guess you earn that entitlement <laughs> well, when you guess, do the impossible. So, <laughs> I guess that being said, we can expect him to average like five points a game. And it, uh, that's all. I'm just game. wondering. I'm just. I just. I hope he's setting himself. I mean, he got paid. I get it. But man, I hope he ain't setting himself up for that disappointment because hey, it could. Hey, uh, you saw what happened to Harden last year. I don't know. It's true. That could be an area of weakness. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I guess there is not maybe as much depth down low as they'd like. I mean, Birdman is a good guy to have around. He'll be able to help. Uh, but, you know, Birdman's old. Channing Fry's like, getting up there. Richard Jefferson hopefully won't have to play too much until the playoffs. Like, they are still relying on a lot of older players, uh, you know, to fill roles. So, I mean, hopefully they find along the way somebody who can play those backup center minutes and give them some more interior toughness. Because I think that's going to be a thing over the course of the year that they'll have to worry about. But this is a team that's built for the playoffs, and they know that's the goal. So I, I'm not so concerned, really. And it was kind of like last year. It's just like, we know they're going to get there, you know, so we're going to worry about that. And there's no one area of concern to me that's like, they have to fix this. It's just like, will they be able to come through in those moments? Because we know they're going to be in them. And I actually, I like that they added Mike Dunleavy as well. I thought that was a nice, cheap move. He, you know, gave the Bulls some good years. And he's always been a very consistent shooter. He's had back problems, I think. If he comes through and he's healthy, I think that's a nice, another nice addition, and he'll take pressure off Jefferson. They can kind of space these old guys out because they got a lot of guys who are over thirty-five on the team. Yeah, but that's and I guess that's maybe my question for you, Jeremy. And we've seen this with the Miami Heat when you know LeBron got that first championship, or actually, you know, they got that second championship. Albeit a lot of people thought that it really should have been the Spurs that should have taken that championship, and they went older rather than trying to get younger and and I get and and I get it there's this window where there's this run but I think the dynamic is a little bit different when you look at what LeBron is working with he's got Kyrie Irving he's got Kevin Love and he, and before he had Dwayne Wade and he had Chris Bosh but then they had a ton of really older guys that yeah in glimpses they look really good but during stretches they were very vulnerable and when you play against deeper teams guys that have more athleticism coming off the bench it exposed these guys from a defensive perspective where it looked like that team had taken a step back and I'm just talking about the Miami Heat now you're talking about this Cleveland Cavaliers team with an opportunity for them to repeat as the defending NBA champions and those are some nice pieces Dunleavy added on this basketball team they re-got um, Richard Jefferson I'm just wondering though because all of these other teams understand that they have to be a little bit deeper a, a little bit more feistier will these older guys be able to step up and get the job done when it matters the most rather than maybe adding a few extra younger pieces around LeBron to dispel all of that workload that he put himself on the second half of the season to lead them to that championship. Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. And I think it's nice because 
I think playing, playing with LeBron obviously would, just takes a lot of pressure off you. I and mean, we've seen him. How many times have we seen him get great games and you know bring good seasons out of people? I mean, and LeBron in the playoffs is a whole different animal. I mean, you know, we see we know exactly what that is. It's, we we just saw it. So, I, I for the, you know it's less concerning for Cleveland than it is for other teams just because LeBron is there. And it's funny that we can say that, but I, I, I think I'm not that worried about it yet. I mean, injuries could be an issue. Like if one of their main guys, you know, God forbid, someone gets hurt. You know, it could set them back, but I, I think as long as the parts are all there going into the playoffs, and then yeah, the one thing we haven't talked about is J.R. Smith, who I, I figure will get his contract done. Uh, you know, you have to think they got Tristan's contract done last year, the last minute. You think J.R. will probably be re-signing. He's still in Cleveland hanging out. He was at the Indians game the other day. So I think that they, uh, I think they have enough. And I guess, you know, it would be nice to get, you know, good years again out of Shumpert and, you know, have those other guys kind of step up. But it's, it's, it's a long haul and they know it and that, I think that's such a valuable thing in the NBA too to have been to have been there and know what it takes to pace yourself to get there. And I think you know not to get into the Warriors, but that's like what the Warriors just learned is that they kind of burned out at the end. So Cleveland knows how to do that. LeBron has done it so many times, but I'm not so worried about the overall age as long as they can you know stay on track. So that's five teams up, Jeremy. Five teams down. Now it's time for you to kind of give our listeners your predictions for for this division. Who finishes you know one through five, and how many playoff teams can we see out of the Central Division, my dudes? Absolutely. I mean, I'm I'm going. I have no interesting picks here. You know, Cleveland first, uh, Indiana two. I think they. I really like what the Pacers did again. Uh, I think Detroit is going to be third, but I think it's going to be closer than people think with the Bulls. You know, I feel like Detroit is a team that could, you know, win a few more games, or they could take a step back. You know, there could be some setbacks. They could fall back sort of into that around 500 territory. You know, I think that's kind of fragile a little bit. Yeah, but I, I do like what they did. But there's just to me, there's a little bit of insecurity there. Chicago could win. 48 games where they could win 35. I don't know what it's going to be, but I'm putting them fourth. Uh, Milwaukee, I think, is interesting. And I think before Middleton got hurt, I was having a much harder time with this. But I think just him being out raises questions for them in terms of how do you match up defensively and how do you space the floor for Giannis, who's such a unique player. Uh, that To me, I mean, the, the cast enough doubt on it for me to put the Bucks comfortably in fifth right now. Uh, so that's my order. All right. And, and of those teams, who's making the playoffs? Uh, I think I think you know Cavs are in, Pacers should be in, and I think the Bulls and Pistons are both going to be kind of in that seven eight territory. But I, I, I probably only one to make the playoffs. I think Detroit sneaks in. I don't have faith in the Bulls for any reason right now. So that's I'll say that. <laughs> Fair enough, my guy. Yeah. So I'll jump in here right now as well too, and I'm going to pretty much piggyback up what you said. I think obviously Cleveland is a, is a class of division. There's no way that they cannot win this division and win it kind of going away. I do think two, three, and four are going to be a little bit interesting. I love what the Pacers have done. I am just a little bit more concerned, I guess, than most of how it's all going to mesh and how the how and how some of the agendas are going to are going to fit together. Love Paul George as an MVP candidate. Love Miles Turner as an individual player too. Just have never have never been the biggest fan of Jeff Teague, so I want to see how he now how he matriculates into a new system. And I think that's going to maybe give them a couple losses that they maybe shouldn't have to begin the year, opening up the ways for the for the Pistons to improve and especially some with that bench that they that they desperately needed to get better and I just don't want to doubt uh, the mindset of, of, of three very, very good NBA players and Rondo Wade and, and Butler obviously shooting is an issue. Um, but I just, I just don't know, you know, how that's going to, how that's going to play out. So for the sake of the, for the, for the addictions, I'm going to have the Pistons finishing second, Pacers finishing third and the Bulls finishing fourth. Milwaukee, again, the middle of the thing is a crushing, crushing, crushing blow for them. And I'm very, very disappointed to see that, but I think two, three and four are going to be all within maybe two or three games of each other. So I think it could kind of go either way. And I do see the, the Cleveland Cavaliers definitely being the, the being a team that's obviously in the playoffs. Um, and then I'm going to go with the Pistons and the Pacers as my other two teams. Yeah, well, for me, listen, no question, the Cleveland Cavaliers, until somebody, you know, 
pretty much knocks LeBron James off of his throne, um, which clearly that'll never happen. Or unless, you know, he decides to say, I'm going to take my talents um, to the CFL. I mean, the Cavaliers <laughs> are going to be the class of the the, the Central Division again. Um, and I think the emergence of Kyrie Irving as now his dual threat, just it just makes it literally impossible. They're like a literal unstoppable force. So it'll take basic injury for that to occur. The interesting part really now comes down to that second to fifth place positioning. And, you know, you could look at the number, you could look at the rosters and say to yourself, wow, then, you know, that means the Chicago Bulls really should be the second best team when you got Dwayne Wade and Rajon Rondo and Jimmy Butler. The problem is, is what does that mean um, for this team offensively? I know for this team defensively, they may be a little bit better, but if they were 42 and 40 and they had Paul Gasol in this basketball team and they had a plethora of, of guys like Derrick Rose and they had Joakim Noah and they were barely a 500, I'm not going to rely on just the names themselves to make them a better basketball team. I'm just going to look at what teams have actually proven with the roster that they have. The Indiana Pacers added some veteran guys, but you have a, a guy like Paul George a year after that injury clearly shows like if he has the legs underneath him, he could basically have an MVP like type of season added some quality pieces. I think that they're going to wind up being the second best team again. And so now in the third position, I, I, you know, it could easily be the Detroit Pistons who can separate themselves or they could fall back and really make a race of it between them, the Bulls and the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, but in my mind, I just think that the Pistons are on an uptick. And I think that if Van Gundy can continue to get more out of the youngsters, the emergence of Stanley Johnson, they'll have a deeper basketball team. They'll increase their win total um, and they'll put themselves in the three position. And then the Bulls, I think, are going to come in fourth. And unfortunately, I think the Bucks are going to come last. And it's not because of the fact that this team is going to be a bad basketball team. It's because of the fact that they're losing Middleton, one of their main scorers. It's just really hard to just find someone to replace that, even even if you make a quick off the season, off season, off the cuff, off season move by getting uh, Beasley, I don't think it's going to be enough. I think that the the gap between these three teams is definitely going to make it interesting because there's going to be at least three teams coming out of this division in the playoffs, um, and that's likely going to be the Cavaliers, the Pacers, and the Pistons again. But I would not be surprised, given the flux from the other two divisions, that a fourth team could possibly sneak in, and I think it's just going to depend on who's going to make it count to towards the second half of the season, whether it be by trade or just going on a hot streak. And both the Bulls and the Bucks are two teams that are capable of doing those things. But as far as I'm concerned, Cavaliers, Pacers, Pistons, they'll likely get into the playoffs again next uh, this upcoming season. And the Bulls and Bucks could be on the outside looking in. Okay. Well, fair enough there, CL. So, so Jeremy, um, any final thoughts on this central division here? You know, any, you know, in terms of coaching or any terms of anything that you look at, say, you know what, I want to see what happens out here with the, one of these five teams. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think it's just, I am really curious about the Cavs. It's just like every year, you know, we continue to, it's always something weird that's going on you know, with, with LeBron. We always doubt him. Like at what point this year are we going to be like, does LeBron have it? Or cause you know, someone's going to ask that right. and it's going to happen and they keep doing it again and again. And I just, I enjoy him proving everyone wrong to some extent, like me too. Like I've been wrong once a lot of times. And uh, you know, I, I think, Maybe it's a year that we really appreciate LeBron, you know, now getting to watch him chase another title. He finally did it in Cleveland. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm really curious, I guess, to watch them uh, and, you know, to see if, if that team matures. And Kyrie, I think, has more to give. You know, is he going to become a playmaker? That's the one thing I'm really, you know, curious to see. You know, I am, I've been hard on Kyrie, and I, I still think that he uh, has room to grow, hopefully, as a passer. And the thing is, that's never been his game, so I don't know if we can really expect it from him, but I'd like to see it. And... And that, that's about it. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of interesting, all these teams are very interesting, um, you know, made interesting moves. 
you know, there's players to watch. I think it's, it's definitely one of the better divisions in the league. I think it'll be an interesting chase. Before I let you get out of here, just final thought here on, you know, some of the other players on this, on, and, and then within division who, you know, have had their name mentioned in trade rumors and things like that. You know, specifically want to talk about a guy like Greg Monroe. Do you feel like he finishes the season in Milwaukee or is that something that, you know, you just have to kind of wait and see? My guess is no. I mean, they've tried to shop him and they've, you know, I guess they've never found an attractive package. Like, you would think that at some point they're like, we have to, you know, come over a little bit on this and settle and like find a part. And I think Middleton getting hurt may accelerate the process. Like, I don't know if they're going to keep using him, you know, like they did last year or what they'll do. But I, I think ideally, if you are going to put the ball in Giannis's hands, like you want to be able to push it and play fast. And you know, Jabari can do that. You know, they have the guys who can run and you know are athletic and are young. And philosophically, he is not the fit. So I, I guess I would be surprised if they didn't find a way to trade him and just eventually are like, you know, screw it. You know, we got to just get this done. Our man, Jeremy Wu from SportsIllustrated.com. Jeremy, man, we so appreciate you hopping on board with us, man, to extensively break down this uh, this mercurial division, that being the central division. Um, definitely, like you said, man, one of the divisions that I think people really need to keep their eyes on. I really think that it's going to be one of the most competitive divisions out of the Eastern Conference. And compellingly enough, I think will be one of the most competitive divisions in the NBA to watch for all season long, man. Absolutely. I am on the same page with you. And thanks for having me. All right, Shaw. I mean, hey, Jeremy like laid it out, you know, pretty plainly. Um, it's going to take a miracle for any of these other four teams, whether it be the Pistons, whether it be the Pacers, whether it be the Bucks, whether it be the Bulls. It's going to take a miracle. I mean, who can argue? Uh, after what we've seen from this basketball team the second half of the season and all the way up until Game 7 of the, of the NBA Finals, I, I find it very hard. Um, even with a completely healthy Paul George, um, even if you went back to Paul George before his injury, uh, Paul George, there's really nobody in that division that is capable of stopping the unstoppable force that is LeBron James and any team that he mans um, in, 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 in the central division. Yeah, you're right. And again, it's, it's, it's hard to preview division with such a dominant team within it. It's, it's not as bad as the Pacific per se, um, but definitely, you know, you look at this, look at this division from, from top to bottom, you say, okay, well, it is going to take a miracle, an injury to LeBron James um, for somebody to really kind of be able to, to dethrone them and not just in this division within the Eastern Conference as well. So I think I'm very confident in saying that, you know, even though we're not done all of our Eastern Conference previews just yet on our show, nevertheless, you know, I still feel like this is, uh, there, there are teams in this division that can be very competitive throughout um, there are no, and there are no easy wins on, you know, when you, when you play anybody or even Milwaukee who were all a little bit down on it, mainly because of the Milton injury, I was really looking for them to kind of have a bounce back season, this coming season. But unfortunately, Milton injury really kind of puts them behind the eight ball a little bit. Now, Jason Kidd and company really have to figure out, you know, who, who's going to be some of their go-to guys. Jabari's looking to step up, but you know, really, how does that, how does that, what does that really look like when it, when it comes to the grand scheme of things? But nevertheless, all five teams will be very, very competitive. Um, and I don't think, like I said, anybody can take them lightly going in when they're playing against them. But isn't it interesting, Shaw, when we look at the, you know, when we look at this next generation of, of, of basketball players and in the midst of the collective bargaining agreement and the midst of the increased salary cap. And it's funny how one person dynamically change can, can, can change the dynamics of not just a division, but practically a whole conference. You know, LeBron James has been doing this now for 10 plus years and changing the dynamic of a conference. He changed the dynamic of the, of the Eastern Conference when he left Cleveland to go to Miami and changed it again when he went from Miami to, uh, to, to Cleveland. And it's interesting because while we talk about the Western Conference as being one of the most competitive conferences over the last three to five years, 
there's still not that one standout person who equals the same way to what LeBron James has done to the Eastern Conference. And while pe- while people are still going to be, you know, glossing over, looking at a dynamic of a Warriors team and, and you know, going to be looking at the San Antonio Spurs as a team, you basically just look at wherever LeBron James lands, that team is completely favored to win their division and ultimately be one of the best teams in the conference. Yeah, and, and that's going to be that way for a little while, at least for the next two seasons, I'd say. Um, everyone's waiting for him to slow down, um, but he's an expert, you know, and not, not just playing basketball, but just managing his minutes, managing his body understanding the points in the season in which he really needs to kind of be going all out and not to say that he's, you know, not giving it all, but even a 90% or an 80% LeBron James is still better than 80 to 90% of the league, if you will. So um, just take that for what it's worth. I um, mean, LeBron James and Cleveland Cavaliers are going to, should, should be having some dominance within this conference for at least for the next few seasons. And then hopefully, you know, some of these other teams catch up, other players maybe move in free agency next summer um, and maybe give LeBron a little bit of a run for his money. We, we don't know. But as it stands right now, um, no one's catching LeBron and Cleveland Cavaliers. I got to tell you, though, I'm really liking what I'm seeing from these other teams, though, you know, maybe minus what's happened in Chicago. I mean, clearly th- there's question marks there as far as what direction this team is trying to go in. And maybe Fred Hoiberg, you know, can can make wine you know, out of water when he's got this roster to kind of work with. Uh, there's some really nice pieces there. And I just wondered, I hope, hopefully they will not get masked under the the, the muckery uh, of having a lot of these egos. It's one of the things I know we didn't get a chance to talk to with Jeremy Wu, but I one thing I really wondered about the Chicago Bulls team is that all of these guys that have come over now um, via through these offseason acquisitions, they all have a different agenda and all have, have a different motive for them to, to be successful. And does that equate to the Bulls, you know, being a successful basketball team? It's probably the first time I've ever seen a Chicago Bulls team that has gone out via through free agency and acquired guys who are coming off of certain jaded situations that don't align with the success and the tradition of what the Chicago Bulls franchise has equated to pre and post the Michael Jordan era. So it'll be interesting because everybody's now looking at the Cleveland Cavaliers when for a very long time, when there was ever a team that you had to look to coming out of the central division to have an impact on the conference, it was supposed to be the Chicago Bulls. It could very well be possibly the Detroit Pistons or the Indiana Pacers this time around. Yeah, you're right. And and Chicago's in in a very, very intriguing team and situation. Just don't know what what exactly they're going to do. As I said earlier on, I just don't want to doubt you know, three guys who are very, very competitive and, and have, you know, all-star potential and with Wade, obviously Hall of Fame, you know, credentials to, to his to his credit. Um, I just want to see how it all, how it moves and how they find spacing and, you know, how they play defense and how they win. And a lot of that is going to be on Fred Hoiberg. But I definitely do feel like the Pistons and, 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 and Pacers are two teams that are poised to, to make a step up. Um, obviously, Indiana's moves make them the favorite, I think, to finish second in, in this division. And a lot of people think they can finish, you know, in the top three or four in the Eastern Conference. I think that remains to be seen. Um, but nevertheless, like I said, there's there's a lot of intrigue throughout the Central. Yeah, man. And so our eyes are going to be completely glossed over, you know, how this division um, competes, not within just themselves, but also amongst the rest of the teams in the uh, Eastern Conference. I mean, certainly they're going to make it very interesting. There is a truckload of teams that are going to be vying for opportunities to be in that middle towards the back end of that Eastern Conference playoff picture. And very well, four teams out of the Central Division can find themselves participating in this year's upcoming playoffs. But I'm sure that there's some 
other teams in other divisions who might have a say in that. We'd like to thank our man Jeremy Wu for hopping on board with us. Once again, be sure to check him out. He writes some great pieces and he's a part of the, the uh, SportsIllustrated.com family. So be sure to check him out throughout the course of the season. For the baseline, Cali, Warren Shaw, we appreciate you guys. You know we do. And we'll catch up with you next time. This is Stacy on her motorcycle. What an incredible view! And this is Stacy off her motorcycle. Does this have sucralose in it? On her motorcycle. Oh, the wind in my hair! Off her motorcycle. Uh, it's pronounced etc., not etc. On. Woohoo! Yes! Off. No. You're better on your bike. And with basic policy starting at $75 a year, quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates annual premium for basic liability policy not available in all states. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, the pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.